do we do with what's all that work? That's the big question, and that's not the point of the sermon. Maybe it will be the point in a few weeks when we get to need-oriented evangelism. But if you are one of those people that have been praying for a particular child to come to Jesus, then go in and have some contact with the family. I told the parents that were gathered here on Friday, I said, we are just a stop on their spiritual journey at Chewila Evangelical Free Church. The home is the single most important nurturing place for faith. And if those parents don't know the Lord, the kids have a hard road ahead of them spiritually. A lot of them don't make it all the way into teen years and beyond and sticking with their faith. And so we want to see these decisions solidified. And the best way to do that is with follow-up. And you, if you have a relationship with that family, follow up and talk to the parents. Follow up with the kids. Encourage them. Maybe we can figure out something later in the summer to do to get some of them back for a picnic or something like that. There was an awesome barbecue at the end. Many of them stayed. There were some good interactions with uh, with community people. And that's what we're about, isn't it? And so we're going to do all this work. I would like to suggest that we also have a robust follow-up to figure out how to enfold those families into the faith community, whether it's with this one or another church in the area or if they're from Addy or Colville. You guys know of churches up there. So that's part of what we do. Keep praying for those kids, but keep engaged with those families because that's going to make the biggest difference. Well, as I mentioned, we are in the midst of a series on the traits of healthy church, and we have done so far passionate spirituality in the first two weeks of June, and then last week we did empowering leaders, and we're going to do some more on that today. There was a young man named Jake Porter, and he was born with a mental disability. Jake couldn't read, and he could barely write his own name, but Jake Porter loved football. And so Jake Porter attended every practice of Northwest High School's football team, his varsity football team, and it's in, in Ohio, McDermott, I believe. And so on the last game, it was against rival Waverly High, and the coach of Northwest High School is Dave France, and he calls up his friend, who's the coach of Waverly High, Derek DeWitt. So Coach Dave France and Derek DeWitt. And so Coach France says, you know, let's, at the end of the game, if the game is not on the line, I would like to suggest that we could give Jake the ball for the last play of the game, and he'll just receive it. He was a running back, and he would just kneel down at the end of the game. So they agreed. The game was going on. It wasn't going very well for Northwest High School. It was 42 to nothing. So you could say the game was not on the line. Five seconds are left in the game. So Northwest coach Dave Franz calls a timeout. And he and and his friend Derek, the other coach, come to the, the middle of the field. Nobody, of course, in the stands can hear. And they can see that these guys are having a disagreement. So Coach Franz is trying to say, now remember, Derek, here's what we're going to do. Jake will get the ball, and he'll just kneel down, and then the game will be over. But, but there's something going on, and nobody really knows what it is. And so they go back. The referee has to kind of say, come on, guys, let's go. Let's get this game over. I want to go home, have a cup of hot cocoa. And, and so 
on the game goes. And so they start, and so Jake gets the ball, but instead of kneeling down, his teammates say, no, don't kneel down, go, go, just run toward the line of scrimmage. And as Jake runs toward the line of scrimmage, the Waverly defense parts like the Red Sea, and Jake heads off on his grinning sprint to the end zone. See, what had happened at midfield was the opposition's coach, Waverly, said, no, I don't want him to kneel down. I want him to score. And they were arguing, no, we didn't agree on that. I want him to score. And so Jake scores a touchdown on the last play. The stands went wild. The mothers were crying. Dads were celebrating. The players were hoisting their helmets up. And then the sports people got a hold of this, and it was named the play of the year in Sports Illustrated. It was the touchdown heard round the world. Sports store shows everywhere told this story. Now, I want you to remember, it was 42-2-0. So what team is going to be willing to give up a shutout? What defense is, I mean... This is a big deal because sports would demand that you give your best effort. You preserve the, the, the shutout for the headlines, but there, this was a different headline. This was a headline that there was a higher calling than a simple scoreboard result. In God's kingdom, I would like to suggest to you that Jake is the norm of how leadership really works and how are we influenced by God's priorities as leaders and as those who support leaders. And so we mentioned last week about empowering leaders. They focus on what's worthy and eternal. And we also said that they use their authority to serve others instead of lording it over or fulfilling their own agenda. So a couple of more points today are on your outline if you would like to pull that out. But I would like to start with a leadership quote. Those of you in Sunday school, we, we talked about this a little bit. And so here's a quote that you sometimes hear about leadership. If you lead and no one follows, then you're just out for a walk. Now, I'd like to say that's sometimes true, but it's not always true. Consider the Old Testament prophets. Were they out just for a walk? They did a lot of proclaiming and then turn around and see an entire nation not following them. So were they not leaders? Maybe they weren't in your mind. We could debate that, but I want to suggest to you Ezekiel, and I personally feel like the prophets were leaders, and it isn't a matter of whether you're successful in leadership It's whether you're faithful in doing what God has called you to do to direct people toward him. So in Ezekiel chapter 2, this would be a great... They should teach this passage in seminaries because um, it would be great to get people to focus on what ministry can sometimes be like. So Ezekiel 2.4, the Lord says to Ezekiel, I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children. And you say to them... Thus says the Lord, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, stubborn and obstinate means to have a hard heart, not just a little stubborn streak. It means to be so set in your ways 
that you are unwilling to change or to consider change. And then to call them children, and we talked a few weeks ago about how children could be a good example of trusting faith, but this is not such a good use of the word children. This is when the children get little temper tantrums and they just insist on their way and there's nothing that you're going to do to convince them differently. Our two-year-old middle son, when he was two years old, we were in Yosemite and there were some deer grazing and he looked at them, four legs, kind of large animal, horsey. No, deer, horsey. No breath, deer, horsey. And he would not give it up. He was not going to be convinced. He was stubborn and obstinate. I say it's a horse, it's a horse. Sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we're so set in our way, we want our way that we get mad and you may not actually visibly shake your fist at God or even in your mind think you are, but you do. I do. When I want my way, I insist. And so sometimes that's what leadership encounters, doesn't it? You face obstinate and stubborn people. So here's what God says to Ezekiel in verse 6. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. So God is the source of our leadership, biblically, for those who are biblical leaders. God is our source. And so what he says, Ezekiel, do not be dismayed by their response. Dismayed isn't just feel bad, because I think anybody's going to feel bad when you sit on a scorpion. You're not going to like it. But dismayed here is more than that. Dismayed is that it just shuts you down. And so what God is saying is, Ezekiel, don't let your feelings block what I called you to do as a leader. Don't let your feelings determine how you will respond and keep you from leading. Now, you think about a leader. If we were to like make a list of, of leadership qualities, and maybe our list would be the same as if I went into a, a city council meeting or something like that and asked people in the community, what do you think of a leader? But But the common idea of a leader is a particular, you know, driven type A personality. These are the people who are successful in business and and politics. And and so we have traits like they make things happen. They're self-assured, confident. They have new ideas and directions. They persuade others. And they can juggle multiple projects all at one time not necessarily because they're organized, but because they tell other people what to do and they organize them. So it's kind of this assertive, get the job done kind of person. If you've ever taken some of those personality tests, there's a particular personality, this one called the DISC test, calls it the dominant personality. And so, and surely, you know, you can't argue that they can be leaders of a type. But here's what I would like to suggest to you this morning. Not that that isn't a leader, What I'd like to suggest is it isn't the only model or personality for leadership. God can use all kinds of people to be leaders. They're not all just this driven, get the job done, roll over the people. 
and climb the ladder and, and do all of that kind of uh, successful, achieving-oriented people. In Scripture, God uses all kinds of personalities as leaders, if you study that. He uses diverse leaders in diverse situations to reach a diverse world. Sometimes God wants a Paul that's going to be a bulldog and just go on ahead. Sometimes he takes a very detailed, organized kind of person that likes things in a structure like Moses because who could handle 600 plus points of a law and a code and pull it off but, you know, a detail-oriented kind of person who looks at quality control. Sometimes he uses a guy that goes out and doesn't even think about things, just gets out of the boat and walks on the water. A gregarious, outgoing person. During the transfiguration has to be one of the most spectacular events in human history. Go, hey, let's pitch some tents. Let's have a camp out. What do you think? Now, there was a theological thing Peter was trying to do there, but he was, you know, Peter spoke. He was a leader of sorts, a very outgoing, not always thinking through it. And so even Abraham has been cited as a guy who's kind of a, a fearful, shy, you know, eh, just say you're my, don't say you're my wife, say you're my sister, and, and isn't leading very forcefully. And yet God used them all in huge ways because God uses diverse leaders in diverse situations to reach a diverse world. And in biblical leadership, We define success not by how much did you achieve. We define it by did you bring glory to God? Because a lot of leaders bring glory to themselves or their group. But do they bring glory to God? First Timothy has a different set of traits to describe a biblical leader. Here's some of them from first Timothy three. An overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now, able to teach, by the way, doesn't mean standing up in front of a group of people. It could be a one-on-one. To Can you open the scriptures and talk about them and have a discussion? Then you're able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover of money, and he must manage his own family well. You know, I've looked at that list for many decades, and I still can't find any personality traits for God's definition of a leader. Can you? Because God doesn't have limitation to this one type A personality as the quintessential leader. And you have to decide, what kind of a leader do you want to be your pastor? Are you going to look for, well, we want somebody that will fulfill all of those qualities. I've forgotten I had said this. Someone said, you know, when you were interim pastor 11 years ago, you told us that we, we took a survey and got all the lists of everything that the church wanted for their next pastor. And, and you said to us, well, good luck finding somebody like that. And that's actually kind of typical how it often goes. But God isn't limited to a particular personality or even a particular skill set. He can use all kinds of leaders in all kinds of places. But I'd like to suggest there's an overlooked group for leadership. We don't think of them as those type A persons. They would be the first ones to tell you they aren't gifted. Their personality isn't suited for leadership. Yet these less forceful people bring to leadership a humble, Christ-like heart. 
and God has gifted them for leadership, but they just might need some encouragement to step up into that. And when I'm saying leadership, yes, I think of elders and deacons, but I think of other leadership positions too that are in the church that aren't like titled leadership positions. And so who or what is God calling you to be in that leadership nexus of what he has in mind? Because you might say, I, can, I do, I feel like I have a Christ-like desire in a heart, and maybe you haven't thought of yourself as a leader. But you might need encouragement. Now, Scott Adams might not be a name that you would recognize, but Dilbert would be a cartoon you might recognize from the Sunday paper or the weekday paper. And Scott Adams, who created Dilbert, tells about his beginnings. He said, when I was trying to become a syndicated cartoonist, I sent my portfolio to one cartoon editor after another and received one rejection after another. One editor even called and suggested that I take art classes. Then an editor called to offer me a contract, and I didn't believe her. I asked if I'd have to change my style, get a partner, learn how to draw, but she believed I was already good enough to be nationally syndicated cartoonist. Now here's the part to note. Her confidence in me changed my frame of reference and altered how I thought about my abilities you can see a marked improvement in the quality of the cartoons I drew after that conversation. The most influential people in my life are not even aware of the things they taught me. Sometimes a person around you just needs to know that they've had an impact on your life. And by sharing that, you might encourage them. And maybe in God's plan, you're a tool to help bring them into a more of a leadership role because they had no idea they were that influential. Maybe it would be good to share with somebody how they have influenced you and it might motivate and encourage them in that direction. So number one on your outline, empowering leadership is defined by character. Empowering leadership is defined by character. So do you have a stereotype that God wants to adjust of what a leader should look like? Now, some of you don't think you're leaders, but maybe in God's plan, I'd like you to think this morning, just just think. You're not having to sign up for anything yet, yet. But maybe in God's plan, you are. Maybe God is going to use this message to nudge you along in a leadership position. A bunch of leaders were out this week, doing VBS. Now, you may not have thought of yourself as a leader, but you were. You were leading a group of kids, right? You were leading them in different ways. You were organizing crafts. You were organizing snacks and putting that together and and leading others in the process. So some of you may not think you're a leader, but in God's plan, you really are. And some of you don't think you have enough time to be a leader. But in God's plan, leadership isn't just doing a set of tasks and being busy. I hope you can see from Timothy, it's a whole heart. It's a character thing, like our first point. Empowering leadership is defined by character. And if you have that character, 
then it's not just a question of time. And yes, I'm not saying there aren't tasks, but I'm saying the most important thing is character. And if you're seeking to follow Jesus above all else, then you can be an influencer. You can be a leader in some sphere. Now, don't just think in terms of the church. Think outside the church. How does God want you to be an empowering leader? We also, this afternoon, well, it's not this afternoon yet, this morning, want to talk about another barrier to being an effective spiritual leader, and that's pleasing others. Galatians 1.10 says, and this is Paul again, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So people-pleasing is a tough thing. In a survey of 1,200 pastors, get this, 91% admitted to people-pleasing tendencies in their ministries. 91% of us as leaders, and I think the other 9% might have been lying. As leaders, we bear so many, we hear so many voices in our head, and it's hard to know, is this my voice? Is this the voice of, of people pleasing and wanting people to be happy with my leadership? Or is this the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear? And it's hard to know. It's hard to hear because people pleasing can taint and distract from being an empowering leader. Here's what one pastor says. I resonate with this reflection. He says, I wonder, How many decisions I made motivated by an inner desire to please somebody in the church that resulted in missing God's best? I wonder how many more people could have moved closer to Jesus had I not allowed approval to influence my leadership. Now, maybe you said that, I I feel that one. Boy, that's there. I can't be a leader because of that. Well, join the other 91% of us who don't think that You know, we can get apart from people-pleasing, but God may want to use that to pry open your heart. Because when we start to look at what is people-pleasing all about? Why do we do this thing? Well, we do it because we don't want to be not liked. Or we're afraid we'll fail. And so, as a people-pleaser, you avoid confrontation. You want to keep the peace. And sometimes at the expense of revealing truth. But here's the thing, and, and all of us 91% know this, people-pleasing drains you. It drains you and it makes you exhausted, and you're never going to make them all happy. And we all know this, but we keep doing it anyway, because somebody always wants something more of you, and the more you try to people-please, the more exhausted you get, and then sometimes the more demanding the people around you get, because they're used to you doing this. You ever wonder why some people in 40s have burnouts and midlife crises is they run out of people-pleasing. I was in a church where the Awana commander was a fabulous Awana commander and his very sweet, quiet, never-raise-a-problem wife walked out. And nothing anyone could say could convince her. She was tired. She had people-pleased her whole life. She had taken care of. He was gone to work. He was gone to Awana. And she was left just burned out and angry and bitter. Because people-pleasing 
isn't the same as biblical self-sacrifice. Because when I people please, I want a response. And when I don't get it, it takes a little bit of annoyance in my heart and takes something out of me. And biblical self-sacrifice, I'm not doing that for me. I'm doing it for the Lord. But people pleasers, we just want to be liked and admired and appreciated and recognized for all this people pleasing. And when it doesn't work, sometimes we get burned out and sometimes some walk out because it's really a focus about me feeling better about me. And when we're more focused on pleasing God than pleasing people, here's some qualities that emerge. I have clearer vision, more creativity, less reactivity, more internal peace, renewed passion, more fruit, and healthier team, the people around me respond in a more healthy way. So second point on your outline, or last one today, is empowering leaders seek to please God more than people. We seek to please God more than people. We realize leadership comes from character, and so we seek to please God more than people. This is kind of the football story morning. The coach of the Marquette High School football team in Alton, Illinois, suspended 16 starting players who were arrested for underage drinking at a party. 16 now. Parents beg them, don't suspend them, because their next game for this 10-0 team, who's undefeated all season long, was a playoff game. And 16 starting players, and if you don't watch football, there are 22 11 on offense, 11 on defense. So that's pretty much all but five guys that were starters. And now they only five starters are going to be there. And so the coach refused after huge pressure from parents to let them play in the playoff game. And here's what he said. We stand for certain things. Kids have to be responsible for their actions. Imagine the courage it took for that man to do that. And there are some schools that would fire him because they lost 62 to 0. Oh, sorry, 63 to 0 in the playoffs. But he stood for what was right instead of pleasing people. So who do you seek to please, God or people? If people-pleasing is a factor as to why you say, I can't be a leader, then maybe this is God's time to free you from that. Maybe you're a leader and you're saying, oh, man, I am doing some of this and I need to step back from it. This can be one of the most liberating things in your life when you say, I got to do this for God, not to make everybody happy around me and like me. Then you're going to be free to be a servant leader without your own needs getting in the way. So are you willing to step into a a role of spiritual leader or influencer into more in your spiritual life and not just be a consumer, not just sit because you don't think you can. So you just sit and soak it all in. But you got to give some out. We'll talk about that also in serving later in August. One One last story. Deborah Allen writes in Leadership Magazine about her mother's father, her grandfather, named Seth Poe. He was mama's daddy, but everybody called him Uncle Seth. Uncle Seth pastored a church outside a little town tucked into the Arkansas River Valley. 
Men worked in the cotton fields and coal mines, so pastoring in that, co- that context was not idyllic. Families could be a tough lot. They work hard all week, drank and danced in the sawdust honky-tonks on Saturday night, and fished all day Sunday, and didn't think much about beyond their physical needs, if even that, of the families. And they had to deal with black lung disease, coal miners, right? Added widespread suffering and death. But Uncle Seth cared for his family. In addition to preaching on Sunday morning and Sunday night, he also preached in town in the black church in the afternoon. And for his job during the week, he delivered bananas to fruit vendors and grocery stores. Deborah says, Mama remembers flying around Ozark hairpin curves, of which there are many, singing, God will take care of you. And she believed it was true. She remembers Seth coming home from work, drawing a bucket of water from the well and pulling a chunk of ice, putting a ch- chunk of ice into the water and making lemonade for everybody that would come. She said, Uncle Seth died before I was born. His heart was worn out with caring for others, but I'm glad he lived in a different world. I'm glad he didn't have to wrestle with ideas about the effectiveness of his cross-cultural ministry. Instead, he just devoted himself to feeding small-town folks with different color skin. I'm glad he didn't have to feel guilty about his limited exposure to the latest programs for outreach, and instead just went about being who he was to the fruit sellers, depot workers, neighbors, and dime store owners. I'm glad he wasn't impatient with his bivocational ministry and gave himself to faithfulness there instead of straining to stretch it into a a church where success was measured by a growing budget. I'm glad he did just what he thought God wanted him to do. Imagine such a servant being greeted in heaven. Mediocre job, Seth. Your ministry wasn't marked by excellence and efficiency, but come come in anyway and enter the joy of your master. No, I'm glad Seth was met in God, by God in glory, by someone with standards different from our human standards. So how is Jesus calling you to step up into the ministry he wants for you in influencing and leading others in an empowering way? Do you, do you feel inadequate? God's standard measures your effectiveness not by the expectations of others around you, or even your own expectations, but by his expectations. And those are always fair. Those are always just what you can accomplish. The other people's expectations are beyond what you can accomplish. And God will measure you by your character and not by your personality because he wants to use you to touch the lives of others. So how will you respond? Will you lead in those ways. Let's pray. Lord God, we all influence people around us and some are called into a leadership position, maybe for one person, two people, a small group, a bigger group, a whole organization. But Lord, we need the right mindset of being a biblical leader. We need our character to be what decides if we're the leader that you want us to be, not whether we're fulfilling all of the world's personality checklist. And Lord, 
we also need to not be pleasing people and not be so caught up in trying to make everyone happy or so burned out from making everyone happy that we don't want anything to do with influencing people, so we stay away. Don't let us do that either, Lord. Let us walk into your calling, and if we're we're, we're burned out and, and stuck in people-pleasing, help deliver us, Lord, because we will then focus more on pleasing you, and then we'll be free. So show us how to do that too, Lord. So we pray all these things and ask that you would raise up leaders in Chihuahua Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I think it's the returning chairman of our elders from his Chicago trip. Dan?